Yeah, so Brent st- uh, started um, a new section of Exodus last week where you know, God has redeemed Israel from uh, Egypt, but now he takes them out into the wilderness to get Egypt out of Israel. This is a time of training, uh, of 40 years where God trains Israel, sanctifies them, makes them holy. And so last week we looked at God's providence through the, through the gift of uh, this bread from heaven. And uh, this week we look at the gift of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day. And of course this, this is the day uh, of rest that God has commanded all of his people to take each week. Uh, it's a solemn day of rest is what God calls it in Exodus 16. And, you know, rest is a, is a sore spot for, for essentially all of us, uh, isn't it? We, we don't like to take days off. We don't like to rest. Uh, we like to work. We like productivity. We like to feel accomplished. And this is something that I struggle with on, on a regular basis. Um, I, I struggle to get my mind off of work. Even when I go home, you know, there are days when I've had long weekends where I'll come home early to be with my family, and I'll leave my computer and my books and my other work stuff, and I'll just leave that at the office. But what do I bring with me when I get home? I bring my mind, which is constantly thinking about what I need to get done. You know, just, just last week, just last Thursday, I took a day off uh, because that was, you know, I worked a long weekend over Easter weekend, and we dropped the kids off at Mom's Day Out, and I said, you know, honey, we're going to take this, we're going to take a, a staycation. We're just going to go down to the Pinto. We're going to hang out. And uh, by the time we got there, you know, I got coffee in my, in my blood, and my mind is just going overtime. And so we had this amazing date where I talked with my wife for two hours about my worries of work, <laughs> right? <laughs> what a great husband I am. But, I, you know, I struggle to, to turn my mind off. I struggle to get away from my work. I can, I can leave work, right? But I struggle to get, my, uh, to, to get work out of me. And, you know, overworking has always been something I've dealt with. You know, when I, when I was in college, I took full-time school, but I felt the need to constantly have other jobs to, well, I do need to pay for stuff. But I almost constantly had two jobs while working in full-time classes. I was going, a, a, you know, a crazy uh, speed. So I struggle with rest. I struggle with rest. And my guess is that I'm not alone here, um, especially in America. You know, America is famous for being a, a workaholic country. So I read, I read an article on CNN this week that uh, just recently in France, it, it is becoming uh, common to work no more than 35 hours weekly. No more than 35 hours weekly. Um, and then uh, in Sweden, they, they started uh, recently doing this uh, experiment, and they, I, I don't think the jury's out on it yet, but they cut down their work days from eight hours to six hours. So, so the people go in at 10 a.m. and they leave at four. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> um, but the idea is that, you know, when you come into work at 8 a.m., and you say, I have eight more hours. I'm going to get on Facebook. You know, I'm going I'm to lounge around for half an hour, right? And then you go to lunch, and you say, man, I have so much time to get, you know, and so you take an extra 30 minutes and so on. So they say, what if we cut down the, the work days? You know, we'll be more productive. Uh, contrast that to America, right? Uh, Americans work more hours and take less time off than anyone else in the world. Okay. And why is that so? Well, uh, there, there's um, Meyer, Meyer Friedman. He, he helped do the, uh, the Myers-Briggs personality test. Uh, he suggests that in America we have a sickness, uh, and he calls it a hurry sickness. Um, and it's basically an addiction to productivity. We want to be productive, and we want to get things done, and we want to constantly get more and more done. And here's what he says about this hurry sickness. He says, we have a continuous struggle. An unremitting attempt to accomplish or to achieve more and more things, 
or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Right? So does that characterize your life? Right? I'm getting this done, but now I want to get this done, but now I want to get that done. And in less and less time, we want to, to cram all of this work. Okay? And, and we have this idea that the more I work, the more productive we'll be. Um, but that is actually a myth. Uh, Kerry Cooper, who, he's a professor at Lancaster University, uh, he says that it is, uh, it, it's a managerial myth uh, to think that working long hours and, taking, and not taking holidays makes us more productive. It's a myth. Because why? Well, because the human body is a machine. It's a biological machine. And what happens when you overwork a machine? It breaks down. Okay? But in America, we have a sickness. We have a disease. It's a hurry sickness. And whatever the cause of it is, God in his grace has given us a remedy. Uh, and that remedy is the Sabbath. Okay? And while the Sabbath it certainly is a commandment, it's one of the Ten Commandments, uh, it's also a gift. Even more than that, it's a gift. That's what Jesus says in the Gospels. He says that the Sabbath was not, uh, the Sabbath rather was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And by that he means the Sabbath is a gracious gift to us, to us workaholics, to us who, who, who always concentrate on, our, on, on what we can get done. It's a gift to us. And it's a gift that is meant to teach us something. Uh, and the question is, what is it meant to teach us? Well, that's what we're going to be covering this morning. And uh, I have two points this morning, and then I'm going to end with an application. But essentially what God wants to teach us is he wants to teach us two things. First of all, he wants to teach us our identity. Our identity. He wants to teach us our most fundamental identity. Second of all, he wants to teach us our dispensability. Not our indispensability, but our dispensability. Uh, he wants to teach us that, and then uh, I'm going to end, as I said, with an application. So let's, let's go ahead and jump into our first point here. God wants to teach an identity. Uh, he wants to teach us our most fundamental identity. Now, what, what does that mean? What's fascinating about this passage, uh, it's not so much in, in the passage as it is in the context, but this, this is the first command that God has given to Israel. Okay? God has not given any commandments or any laws or any rules to Israel until now. And, and if I were God, which I'm not, <laughs> but, but you might think, you know, God had just, has just redeemed uh, Israel from this, pagan, uh, from this pagan culture, and you think, what would be the most expedient commandment to give to my people? Right? There's, there's all sorts of commandments that were given later, and so I, I might think, well, I'll give the first commandment. Don't have any other gods. Okay? But God doesn't do that. The very first commandment that God gives to Israel is the command of a Sabbath day. Okay? Now the question is, why, uh, why did God give Israel this law first? Right? Why, didn't, why didn't he establish another law? Well, the, the answer has to do with Israel's old identity, their old situation. Uh, before Israel was redeemed by God, what were they? Okay? They were slaves. Okay? And, and what is a slave? Well, at, at basic, a slave is someone who's defined by what they do. Uh, they are defined exclusively by their usefulness. Uh, th their entire personhood uh, is tied up and bound to their productivity. Okay? And uh, just one more layer of context. What did God just do for Israel above? You know, just last week, we covered last week. Well, he gave them this gift of manna, but he also gave them a daily task to do. Right? Go in and take the harvest. All of this manna that has fallen, you need to go out and do some work. You need to gather it. And each day you need to do that. Uh, God gave Israel uh, uh, work to do. And he's giving uh, Israel this command now because he knows 
Israel has been defined by what they do for so long, right, uh, that their entire uh, identity, uh, their relationship to work needs to be totally transformed. Uh, now that they're out in the wilderness, now that they belong to God, God wants to be careful that they are not defined by their tasks, but by their new identity as liberated people. Okay? The Sabbath is an identity shaper. Uh, it's an identity former. And in fact, this is what Moses says uh, in Deuteronomy. He says this in Deuteronomy 5 when he reinstitutes the Sabbath. He says uh, to Israel, he says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, notice, notice the therefore. Why the Sabbath? Well, because I liberated you. Because you're no longer slaves. Uh, when you were slaves, you never got a day off. You were your work. But now you aren't. Therefore, rest. Therefore, rest. Here, here's what uh, Eugene Peterson says about the Sabbath. He says, the biblical rationale for Sabbath keeping is that Israel's ancestors in Egypt went 400 years without a vacation. <laughs> Never a day off. The consequence, they were no longer considered persons but slaves, hands, work units. Not persons created in the image of God, but equipment for making bricks and building pyramids. Humanity was defaced. Unless any of us should do that to our neighbor or husband or wife or child or employee, we are commanded to keep a Sabbath. The moment we begin to see others in terms of what they can do rather than who they are, we mutilate humanity and violate community. All right, do you see that? God wants to detach Israel from identifying themselves with their work. He says, you are no longer defined by your work. You are defined instead by me as liberated people. Okay? And we have the same problem here in, in, in American culture. We are defined by our career, are we not? We're defined by what we do, right? Who am I? <laughs> well, I, I'm a teacher, I'm an architect, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, right? That, that's, that's the thing we go to uh, right away. Who am I? Well, I am what I do, okay? And I noticed this just the other day. I, I, this was last week. I took uh, my four-year-old daughter to a, a, a birthday party, and uh, I, you know, everybody knows that I'm not the socialite, you know? <laughs> So whenever you bring kids to birthday parties, it's always awkward because you're kind of sitting around watching them do things, <laughs> and you're kind of like, well, what do I do, you know? So I brought her to this birthday party, and I'm sitting down, I'm eating chips, and I look around, and there's just a room full of moms, you know? I'm like, man, I need a dad to talk to. Lord, please give me somebody. And then finally, a dad walks in with, with, uh, with their kid, and I had met the guy before, and he sits down, and we're eating chips together, and I'm like, man, this is awesome. And I, and I said to myself, you know, I really need to get to know this guy. You know, I need to get to know him better. Well, what is the very first thing that comes to my mind? I need to get to know who he is. So I say, what do you do? <laughs> right? Now, that is, that is a potentially offensive question. Because what if he doesn't do anything? <laughs> right? I sit around watching Matlock all day. I don't know. Luckily, he did do something. But that's our go-to question for getting to know people. And that's offensive. Because we are not our work. We aren't defined by our productivity. We're not defined by what we do, but that's what we think. Um, and this is a culture that we're just totally unaware of. That, um, I, I read a Huffington Post article this week from a Serbian woman. She came to the United States to get her master's. And she said that she was baffled 
by the career anxiety that people experience uh, in college. I just want to uh, quote a couple uh, excerpts from this article. It's, it's, this is fascinating to me. But she recounts this conversation that she had with a, a friend of hers, and she says this, I wasn't fully aware of the notion of career anxiety when I came to Washington, D.C. for my M.A. degree, until one evening, that is, at the very onset of the school year, a colleague of mine who was turning seven, uh, 27 raised his glass and voiced his fear. 27, no serious job and no stable career track. Okay. Doesn't, that, <laughs> doesn't that describe so many of us, uh, especially going into college and getting out of college? What do we have to have? Right? We have to have a career. <clears throat> but she continues, she says, I was 23 at the time <clears throat> and could not comprehend why anyone would be obliged to have a career track, let alone a stable one especially at what I saw as the tender age of 27. In fact, I had never entertained the concept the way my American friends were referring to it. And then here's just, just one more quote, because this is just amazing. She says this, While many Americans move out of their homes when they're 19 to hit college, the East European model is quite different. Young people continue to live with their families through college, and many depend on their parents well into their late 20s and even early 30s. All right, so gospel for, for some of you 30-year-olds. If you're still living with your parents, you're not as lazy as they say you are, right? <laughs> you're not, maybe you're not as bad as you, but I, I remember when I was midway through college, and I was living with my parents, and I remember this anxiety thinking, you know, I can't be living with my parents. What a loser, you know? And so I moved out into this apartment, and I spent $700, $800 on an apartment, when in Europe, they're just hanging out for their whole lives with their parents, you know? Uh, but this is how we do it here in America. Uh, we tie our identity to our productivity. Uh, we, we make our entire lives revolve around what we do. And, you know, Brent has talked about his struggles with preaching. You know, if, it, if it's not a home run, you know, he feels down. Well, it's the same here. Um, you know, I just started organizing the worship just a few months ago. But if I walk off the stage and I don't feel good about it, I mean, I, I'm down the whole day. You know, just talk to my wife about it. You know, I'm just fishing for compliments, you know, all day long. But that, that's so unhealthy, isn't it? That's just so unhealthy. Uh, we tie our identity to our productivity. And, this, and what God is trying to do is he's trying to tear from Israel's hands this idea that their work defines who they are. And in fact, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, God constantly reminds them, I have freed you from slavery and now I have made you my firstborn son. I have, you have been adopted by God now, and now you are heirs of Yahweh. And this is how the New Testament defines Christians. Christians have been adopted through Jesus Christ. The Son of God became a son of men, man, that sons of men might become sons of God. That's what uh, the early church fathers said. We have now been adopted by the triune God. And we interact with God not as a judge not as a taskmaster, but as a father. And that's our most fundamental identity. And when you take a day off, you're essentially saying to your work, you don't define me. Right? The Sabbath is a rebellious uh, endeavor. You say, work, you do not define who I am. God defines who I am. God defines who I am. And so that's the first thing that God is trying to teach Israel. He's trying to teach them the most fundamental identity. Uh, but another thing he's trying to teach them is their dispensability. And by, and by that, I mean when we take a Sabbath, uh, we learn how truly non-necessary, non-special 
uh, we really are. Uh, or, to put, or to put it another way, the Sabbath teaches us that we are not the sovereign rulers of the universe. Okay, and you can see this in this passage from God's command to Israel. Do not gather manna on the seventh day. Right? He, he doesn't just say don't work on the seventh day. He says don't gather food. Now why is, why is that such a big deal? Well, remember, last week Brent, said, uh, Brent pointed out that the manna was supposed to be gathered daily. Okay? Uh, don't gather more than a day's worth. And why? Well, because the, the bread would rot. And uh, that's what the Israelites did. They gathered more. They got all uh, greedy. And, and whatever was left over got worms in it. Okay? But on the sixth day, what God says to Israel is, gather two days' worth and keep that bread for a second day. Okay? Now, what is, you know, just put yourself in Israel's shoes. What is God telling them to do? He's telling them, stop working, but not just stop working, but trust that I will work for you. Uh, trust that I, in my, in my own goodness, my own fatherly, sovereign goodness, that I will keep the bread miraculously from spoiling. Okay? And they ultimately couldn't do it. If you look here in uh, verse 27, it says that the very next week, on the seventh day, some people went out to gather, but they found none. Right? Uh, they were wired to work, to go out and do it. And God says, no, take it, take a day of rest. But not only take a day of rest, Trust that while you're resting, I am at work providing. Okay. Um, ultimately, uh, the Sabbath is a call <laughs> to realize that even when you're at rest, God is at work. Okay. And Israel couldn't do that, and why? Well, because they felt like they were indispensable. They were trusting ultimately in their own productivity. Uh, in their own work, and they feared that if they didn't go and gather the food that day, what would happen? They wouldn't eat. Okay? The Sabbath is a call to trust in God. God is the only indispensable one. Okay? You know, and, and at the end of the day, we all have responsibilities, right? We all have people that need us. You know, we have to feed the kids. Uh, we have to pay the bills. We have to pick up groceries. We have to go to work. We have to get homework assignments done. Okay? And, and we don't want to slow down either. And why? Well, because <laughs> we feel totally indis indispensable. We feel totally necessary. Uh, if I take a day off at work, all of these work projects are going to fall apart. Okay. Uh, if, if I give this responsibility away, if, uh, they're just going to screw it up, so I better do it. Right. What God is, is, is saying to us is, you're not that important. <laughs> right. You're not that great. Right. And this, this is what uh, Eugene, I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, if, if, if we do not regularly quit work for one day a week, we take ourselves far too seriously. Um, it's, it's an emotionally healthy thing to stop and to realize I am a small part of God's entire whole. Right? If, if, if I slow down, God will do the work without me. If, if I slow down, the, words, the, the world is going to keep spinning the work is going to get done. Projects will not explode. Uh, the building's not going to burn down. Uh, we're not going to be out on the streets. If I take one day off, things will be okay. Um, you know, one of the best things that I did uh, with the student ministry was to put other leaders uh, in positions to do the work of the ministry. And I have about six leaders, and some of them do some, pr some pretty heavy lifting. Um, some of them teach on Wednesday nights. 
Uh, some of them lead small groups. Some of them organize events. And, and what do I have to do to really let them lead? Right? Because presumably they are going to make mistakes. They're going to do not smart things, right? But what do I have to do in order to really let them do that work? Well, I have to relax and stop micromanaging. Okay? I, I, I can't give them a job to do and then, and then take it back. Um, I have to actually relax and trust that God is going to do something through them instead of just through me. Um, and, and, and really, if, if, I, if I'm being honest about it, these people can probably do these things better than I can. Okay. But I have to relax. I have to, I, have to, I have to say, you know what? God is in control. It's going to be all right. Um, one important book that uh, the leaders of the church read in the last year uh, is a book by Peter Scazzaro. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And uh, the, the premise of the book is that it's more important to be a healthy person than a gifted leader. But um, my favorite chapter in that book is called The Gift of Limits. And uh, it, it's a fascinating chapter. In, in that chapter, uh, Scazzaro talks about knowing your own limits as a leader. Uh, and, he, and he says it's very characteristic of leaders to want to be in charge of everything, uh, to, to micromanage, to get their fingers in everything, to make sure that nothing falls apart. And he says that's, that's incredibly unhealthy um, because on, on the one hand, you're, you're just going to burn out. But on the other hand, you're, you're not good at 20 things, right? Um, great leaders recognize the two things that they're really good at. The two things that they're really good at and then the 18 things that they just really suck at, you know? And, and then what do they do with those 18 things? Well, they give those things away. They, they delegate all of those responsibilities. Healthy people do that and they recognize the gifts in other people. Uh, they recognize that your own limitations uh, it's, it's not a curse. It's actually a gift. It frees you uh, to realize that there are people outside of you. There's a whole world outside of you, uh, and other people can do the work. But what, what does that mean? You, you have to relax and trust in God's own providence. Um, just, just one more illustration here. Whenever Andrew and I go out on a date, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard for us to be gone longer than two hours. <laughs> and, and throughout those two hours, what are we doing? Well, hey, send pictures of them, our kids still alive, please. <laughs> right? Well, why? Well, because, not because we have horrible babysitters, but because we feel that we're totally indispensable. If, 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 if you feed the, this child, they're going to choke and, and turn blue, and it's just going to be awful, you know? But it's good for us to give our kids away for at least, you know, two hours. And we're not talking about two years or something, but two hours. Go out on a date, just relax. And just realize that the world is still going to turn. This is the gift of the Sabbath. The gift of the Sabbath teaches us to realize that the world is still there. <laughs> okay. And just think about this. None of us have this anxiety when we close our eyes at night. Right? When we close our eyes at night, it's not like, oh my gosh, the world has disappeared. You know? No, the world keeps on going. It's the same with the Sabbath. The world keeps on going. Things are okay. Other people are doing even greater things than you are. You're dispensable, truly. You're important. But God can do it without you. And that's good news. Because uh, that means we can freely rest. We can freely rest. All right, so those are the two things that God means to teach us. He means to teach us a fundamental identity. But also our utter dispensability. Uh, we're not as important as we, as we think we are. And I just want to end here with, with an application. Obviously, the application is to take a Sabbath, right? Uh, if, if you're working seven days a week, quit it. Stop it, you know? Don't do that. God has given you the Sabbath as a gift. 
And that, and that takes trust. You say, oh, I don't know how to meet, I don't know how to, meet the, the, to pay the bills. That does take trust. But Sabbath is a fundamentally good thing for you. Okay. But here's some, other, here's some other applications. Because the reality is we are workaholics. Uh, we tie our identity to our, uh, to our productivity. So what can we do to get, to get away from that? Well, the first thing I, wanna, I, I just want to say is I just want to take a, a page from, from Peter Scazzaro's book. Cultivate a healthy identity over uh, productive work. Cultivate a healthy identity over productive work. Um, what, what the gospel says is that God has made you at your deepest level his son or daughter. Uh, the, eff- the essence of what it means to be a Christian uh, is that you are no longer defined by what you do, but who God has recreated you to be in Christ. God has sent his son to make you a son or a daughter. Uh, he has fundamentally recreated you. He has uh, remade you as his own son or daughter. That is who you are at your deepest level. The gospel says, be before you do. Don't do to become. Right? That's going to destroy you. We can see this even in Jesus' own life. Uh, Jesus was a busy person. I mean, he, you know, he was the Messiah. Uh, but, but what did he do you know, every once in a while when the crowds were coming to him? What did he do? He pulled away and he prayed. You say, that's rather introverted and he's isolating. No, he's, he's, what is he doing? He's practicing his identity from all of eternity. Jesus Christ is the only begotten son from all of eternity. And that is who he is before his mission as Savior. So even on this earth, Christ practiced prayer. And why? To locate himself, to reorient himself as a son by who he is at his deepest level before what he does. That is what we need to do as well. And so how how do you do that? Well, cultivate healthy spiritual habits. Um, I I have a friend who, who told me once that if he, if he doesn't pray for you know, a certain amount of time before he goes into work, he inevitably feels rushed and panicked and swamped. Um, and he says that prayer is something that centers him as a child of God. And I think that that's right. I think that that is uh, correct. Prayer is when we come as a son before our father. And we, we ask for things, we ask God for things, but also we just realize our place. <laughs> we are sons in the son. We're daughters in Christ. Uh, that is who we are. And when we pray, that is, our, that is uh, what we're realizing. We're realizing our own identity. So develop a healthy spiritual life, a healthy prayer life. Um, and develop that, focus on that over your own productivity. And that will save you from the ravages of work. But second, just real quickly, um, I, w- I think it's a healthy thing to share responsibility. Um, and by that I mean, whatever uh, you're working on, wherever you work, uh, do not see yourself uh, as so indispensable that you cannot share the workload. Um, it's, it's a very healthy thing to give away or to share responsibility. Uh, like, for instance, right now, you know, Brent doesn't have to uh, take a, a week off every month. I mean, but that's his goal. And the reason is because, um, well, he probably wants a week off, but, but also... Uh, that's who Brent, Brent is not his preaching, right? Um, and, and I'm not the worship lead, uh, my worship leading. Tommy can lead worship as well. What, what, what happens is when we share responsibility, we realize that, we're, that we are truly dispensable, that God could do the working without us. Um, and we won't burn out, <laughs> right? 
right? Um, and, and God promises to keep the bread from rotting. Right? When we share responsibility, he promises, I will not let these projects go bad. Um, and so be a team player. Appreciate the team environment. Um, so th- those are the two applications. Cultivate a healthy identity over productive work and then share responsibility. I encourage you to do that. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you uh, for giving us uh, this salvation uh, where, where you say that we are no longer what we, what we do, but who we are. You've gifted us uh, to be sons and daughters. Help us to, to find our identity in that over what we do. Give us the ability, Father, to uh, flourish uh, in our relationship with you over everything else. And we pray that uh, you do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.